licensed marriage and family therapist, sports family therapist, Dr. Lauren Pitts. This is House Talk pregame. My personal Santa Claus, Ronnie Ransom Jr., is out today representing the mental health field with gusto. He is at an expo in Virginia talking about mental health and sports and relationships. So, so, so excited for him to serve on that panel. Just an amazing opportunity for him. I told him that, you know what? I said, as soon as you're licensed, bruh, the doors are going to open, the, the, the doors are going to fly off the hinges and the opportunities that present themselves to you are going to be endless. And he, and he said to me a couple of weeks ago, he was like, it's just a little overwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> I said, blessings are. Blessings can be, they will overtake you that you won't have room enough to contain, right? And that's Absolutely. where he is. You know, it, it's just so great to be back, folks. Had a great, great, great relaxing Mother's Day. I did exactly what I wanted to do, which was absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I slept. I didn't get dressed. I even logged in for church. I didn't get up and go. Well, forgive me. I was just like, you know what? I need to catch up on some sleep. I need to eat some really good seafood. So my folks spoiled me rotten. I'm so happy. I hope that everybody had an amazing, amazing Mother's Day or whomever you had an opportunity to spend that quality time with. Folks, you know this gentleman, Ted Wright III, is our guest co-host today. We have an amazing... (laughs) Anytime you ask me to to show up, Dr. Pitts, I'm honored and thank you for the opportunity. And so I always learn something new. So I'm excited. I got my pen and paper ready to take some copious <laughs> notes. And uh, nice. this is Jesus and this is a great conversation that we have lined up for everybody today. Yeah. And what a great conversation it is. We have an amazing guest that's with us today. I'm going to formally introduce him and read his bio in just a moment. So today's show, folks, is athletic performance, getting the most. What is the key to top athletic performance? Drink well, eat better. To have your best performance, what you eat may need to improve. Eating well can also help you avoid dehydration, hitting the wall, bonking, general exercise fatigue, and more. And I really like that more part, right? Because that's where there's room for our discussion about academia and mental health and relationships and all of those other things. But when we talk about performance, we also talk about the importance of fueling your body right to get the most out of your efforts. Athletes also have to fuel their mind. Yes, indeed. Meaning that as athletes transition from high school to college, significant cognitive demands are placed upon them. They must learn more sophisticated concepts at deep depths. Their athletic knowledge base undergoes significant quantitative and qualitative changes. Their mental representations of the various concepts are challenged, refined, and further developed. Hey, Ted, this is episode 125 of HT, man. What? 125, man. Wow. 125. I remember when you were like at 25. Right. Wow. You've had 125 episodes? Yes. We And that, look, and that's just HT house you know house talk pregame that's not even when we were just house talk so we I, I was telling gary before the show we've been doing this for five years it's just been the past three seasons that we've been focusing on sports and mental health and relationships you talk about god blessing 
I did see y'all went to school, majored in communications, all that stuff. I, I, yeah, hotel I restaurant know. management with a concentration in culinary arts, <laughs> organizational management, couple marriage and family therapy, educational leadership and management and educational administration. I was not a communications major, but I love doing this work. Yes, you were. You just didn't I know. Love it. Look, that's what, I, I didn't get the memo. Yeah, you didn't, you didn't get the memo. But right. It was coming for you, but you just didn't even know it. You were being developed. You know, and, uh, what, what they say, you want to make God laugh, tell him your plan. Yeah. I did not plan to be doing this, but you said it. He knew that I would be. So, so here we go, folks. I want to bring it down a notch. Y'all know I'm always bouncing off the walls. I swear. <laughs> People ask me, do I have ADHD? <laughs> I won't bring it down a notch. We lost an athletic grade. Jim Brown passed away, and he wasn't just an extraordinary NFL star, gentlemen. He was a Hollywood star. Cleveland Browns legend Jim Brown died on Friday at the age of 87. And while he was primarily known for being one of the greatest football players of all time, he also had an extensive Hollywood career as an actor. Brown was credited with being in at least 50 films during his acting career with several leading roles. His prominent role was in the 1967 war classic, The Dirty Dozen, my birth year. Brown starred alongside an all-star class that included Charles Bronson, Lee Marvin, Ernest Borgnine, and Donald Sutherland. Brown played the role of Robert Jefferson, one of 12 convicts who were sent to World War II Germany to assassinate German officers meeting at a castle. Production for the movie cut into Brown's training camp for the 1966 season, a development that resulted in team owner Art Modell threatening to fine him $1,500 per week. Brown, who already decided to retire following the 1966 season, <laughs> responded by simply retiring a year early. I love it. Brown had a chance to show off his athleticism in one of the movie's most famous scenes. Brown was also cast in several later films as a leading man, including The Split, Riot, and 100 Rifles, where he received top billing over Raquel Welch and Burt Reynolds. Along with his football career that saw him rush for 12,312 yards and 106 touchdowns, he is one of the biggest pop culture icons of all time. While much of his life was in the spotlight as a star, there was also a darker side that included an extensive history of domestic violence and sexual assault allegations. We're going to celebrate his victories and we're going to honor him and give him the respect and the love that is due. The trailblazing work that he did in sports for African-American athletes, our deepest condolences to the Brown family and may he rest in peace. I also want to um, quickly acknowledge I, I've been sharing the past few weeks how, <clears throat> as God would have it, because it sure wasn't long, I have been getting invitations to podcast handover fest, um, invited to speak and share about behavioral mental health and relationships and sports and mental health and, and really folks just tapping into my expertise as it relates to this work that I'm so deeply passionate about. So coming up this Monday, 
this one's a big deal. This one is a big deal because Monday is a, a triple blessing day. It is my husband's 54th birthday. Happy early birthday, baby. I love you. And what else is it? And what else it's is our it? anniversary. Come on, girl. I remember that. I remember that video. Yeah. That was, I was, oh. It's our wedding anniversary because I tell for what better gift to give a man for his birthday than a wife. <laughs> and I tell I clown him all the time. I say, You wanted a wife? You got a wife. <laughs> um, so happy early birthday, baby. Happy anniversary. He is over the road, dotting I's and crossing T's and doing what he needs to do to provide for our family because Ted and Gary, we are submitting to the mission. We are submitting to the mission and we are doing this thing together and he's not gonna be here physically to celebrate his birthday and anniversary, but we gonna make up for it when he gets home. <laughs> we gonna make up for it when he gets home. And we're gonna, we're gonna have a blast. Um, but also on Monday, I have been, this one is, is just such a tremendous honor. I mean, they all are, but this is a little different because this is an international podcast that is run by an organization in Australia um, that invited me to come on. And it is the ILMS podcast. And they are an organization in Australia that is all about families. It's the KPI Institute. They are doing what they call family science labs. And um, they have invited me on to talk about codependency in family relationships and what that looks like, how to address it, how to survive it, um, how to avoid it. And so really, really, really excited about that. Gonna have an opportunity um, to spend two hours, Monday night, our time, morning Melbourne, Australia time on Monday. So continuing to get that international presence, um, just such a tremendous honor. And then on Wednesday, there is um, an, a sports psychology and mental fitness organization out of the Philadelphia area. Uh, that podcast is called the Head Game Podcast. And that one is, you know, they're all, like I said, it's all an honor to be on all of them. But their entire team, gentlemen, is sports psychologists. So, and I literally, I was humbled and I'm like, you want to talk to me? Because my brain is saying, y'all went to school way longer than me. <laughs> right? But they, they, they've been listening and they've been following the, the work that Ronnie and I are doing. And they said, no, Dr. Pitts, we, we want to hear from you. We, we want you to contribute. Um, so such a tremendous honor. So those are the two that I have coming up this week and just super duper duper honored and excited. And I'm, I'm going to do my level best to represent to the best of my ability. So now with all that formality stuff out the way. <laughs> now, well, let me tell you something. You just shared with us 125 shows. So let me share with you what I see. I see consistency, dedication, and passion to what, you, what you're doing, not looking for the, the ILMS podcast, not looking for the head game to call. That wasn't your intention. Your heart was to serve the people with the information and get good information, people into your podcast 
that was sharing information to help people. And mm -hmm. when you only focus on the real, because God judges the intent of your heart. See, yeah. your intent wasn't to blow up. Your intent was to do the work. And because mm -hmm. of the work comes the opportunity where he expands your territory, your mission. Yeah. And the great thing that they told you, it was like, why me? 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 They were like, no, they watched, they watched some of them 125 shows yeah. and they saw the consistency that you were producing. And this woman means what she's saying and she's passionate. That's yeah. why we need her on our platform. And so yeah. kudos to you and Thank the reason you. that you're doing it and continue to allow God to elevate you. I am just so excited for you, Lauren Pitts Bounds. Thank you. And happy anniversary. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So without further ado, I mean, listen, you know, when you talk about 125 episodes, I tell you, I have met some of the most extraordinary human beings that anybody could ever meet that have come on this show. And today is no exception. So today, folks, we have writer, photographer, videographer, communications, and media guru extraordinaire from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Mr. Gary C. Clement. Gary got his start in entertainment after attending Full Sail Center for the Recording Arts in Orlando, Florida. But it was after attending Jack the Rapper Family Affair that he really blossomed as a photographer. It would be a few years later after working in television for ABC and Fox Television that he began writing. His venture was the Clementine Review, published locally and nationally in publications like Yo! and Fresh Magazine, which helped Clement to launch his career as a writer. Merging his talents, he traveled the country on junkets for Disney, 20th Century Fox, and MGM Studios. He's also conducted interviews with celebrities such as Whoopi Goldberg, Angela Bassett, Barry Gordy, professional athletes, and many more. As a photographer, he's photographed celebrities, including professional athletes and actors such as Danny Glover, Chris Tucker, artists such as Beyonce and Janet Jackson, and many others. He's also covered many award shows and special celebrity events. His syndicated column has reached millions over the years and now he's the proud owner of G2 Network Media and Television, where he's updated the Clementine Review to Gotcha Covered Online, which caters to the same audience, but with a broader view. Gary is also extremely passionate about education. And when we connected a couple of months ago when I was on his podcast, one of the things that we talked about was the fact that Oftentimes in sports, the scholarly part of scholar athlete is forgotten. So I, I really wanted Gary to be able to, to contribute to this conversation today for two reasons. One, first and foremost, because he's so freaking passionate about education, but because he has run in that athletic circle, like he's interacted with these folks at an elite level in social settings, in recreational settings, in just all types of ways that many of us haven't. So he has a very unique perspective as it relates to performance and relationships and social engagement amongst elite athletes. Gary Clement, welcome Hello. sir. It uh, is an honor and a privilege to be in your presence. Yes, 
Thank you. And I appreciate uh, you having me here on your show today. And again, congratulations on your upcoming um, uh, anniversary, as well as uh, your success with your show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> so let's jump into this conversation, shall we, gentlemen? So when we think about sports, and, and Ted, I know you, you, you definitely, <laughs> you and your bully state. Is Ooh, go booey. <laughs> you know, hey man, you know we just had a gentleman that was gonna be was close to be the first person from Bowie State University's Brandon. football program to get drafted. Yeah. Didn't happen, but right yeah. after that he signed a free agent contract with Commander. So I'm still yeah. excited about Bowie State's program. We shouted him out. Ronnie shouted it. Look, he went <laughs> gritting his teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Ronnie gritting his teeth. He did. He did show him love, and we we highlighted all of the athletes from the HBCUs that were either drafted or were signed as free agents because it was just phenomenal. Just yeah. such a phenomenal, phenomenal accomplishment for all of them, and, and certainly we wish each and every one of them just an extraordinarily successful career. Represent represent our HBCU families with great pride and humility and strike that balance because we need that. So when we think about sports performance, there's four major dimensions. There's skill, strength, endurance, and even recovery when there, there's injury. What we know to be true and what research, you know, I'm a research nut, what research has shown us is that High performance in any sport requires a characteristic blend of these dimensions, although individual sports differ widely in that balance. So when we think about these levels, let's, let's have some conversation around what that looks like at each level as it relates to overall performance, academia, and I'm gonna interject the mental health piece, right? So that first level is the healthy beginner. Ted, how old were you when you started playing sports? Probably about seven or eight. Mm. Share with us how and why and what it was like for you. And then Gary, if you would, cause we talk about form formative years, right? Can, you, one, two, three, four, A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. How are we striking that balance in that healthy beginner stage of your athletic career as a seven-year-old, eight-year-old? Well, for me, it, it started with television on Saturdays. I saw a noted, all, we only had a few channels back then, so I'm dating myself. And one of those channels always played Notre Dame. And I used to hear the Fighting Irish song every Saturday. And I saw those guys playing football. And then watching the Washington Redskins at the time saying, I want to play in the NFL. So I watched these guys, what they did on Sunday. And then me and my friends in the neighborhood, we played street ball mm -hmm. in between cars. And we tried to mimic everything we saw. Now, wow. the only other thing that I knew as far as like physically to do was you had to work out. I mean, you have to run. I knew the basic stuff. You got to get in shape. Mm -hmm. But the food piece, 
was. I just ate without, you know, I didn't have any choice in that. I couldn't go in the house and tell my Pizza grandma, burgers and hot dogs. Listen, I need to have, you know, gluten-free food. Even though I didn't know what that was mm-hmm. back then. But yeah. the whole point was I had to eat what was given and just went out. And the only thing I knew was just the physical piece of working out, running, lifting weights, trying to get stronger, mm-hmm. and then just mm-hmm. mimicking what I saw other people mm-hmm. doing. And so mm-hmm. I just found a passion for the game, continued to play every year and mm-hmm. continue to have those aspirations to try to get to the next level. And uh, as we've had conversations with Ronnie and, and he experienced it too, the higher mm-hmm. you go up, the, uh, the, the smaller the pool is for those people that are getting an opportunity at the next level. And if you're, yeah. you have to come to some realization that you have to say to yourself, maybe I am not good enough because it's real, mm-hmm. it's showing me in my face that I've tried, I've given everything that I had, I've eaten the right stuff, I did all of that stuff, but I still wasn't selected. And I'm not saying give up, but at right. some point you have to look at the numbers and then realize mm-hmm. that it may not be something for you. But here, here's what I do take away from that. It doesn't mean that you have to give up the sport. So right. from a mental aspect, a lot of people look at not being able to play as mm-hmm. a failure and I have no, I can't have no connection to the sport anymore. But you can still right. coach. You can do what you're doing. You never played Dr. Pitts, but you can help them mentally to understand what's yeah. going on in their world and how you see it from your perspective. So that's right. kind of what how I got from seven to college and playing at Bowie State. But mm-hmm. the whole goal was to try to get to the NFL. And then when the realization of that not happening, you mm-hmm. know, you got to just kind of switch gears and move on. Yeah. Okay. So, Gary, when you think about the education of our children and how, and I, and I talk about this, you know, with, with clients that I have that are parents and you, you would be amazed or maybe not, but I think you would be amazed at the number of parents whose mental health issues are exacerbated by their children's involvement in sports because the things that are going on in the psyche tell them that if my child strikes out, I'm a bad parent. If my child misses X number of free throws, I'm a bad parent. If my child fumbles the football, I'm a bad parent. And it is mind blowing to hear the pressure that is put on these kids to perform, perform, perform athletically and they give them passes academically. Can you sort of share your perspective on that? Um, that's interesting. I I uh, like this um, early on grew up on a farm, and I have three brothers. I'm the oldest, mm-hmm. and uh, so it's like growing up on a farm. You know, of course, back years ago, we didn't have a lot of money. You know, and so. Mm-hmm. Um, you had to go outside and basically find something to do, you know, and one of those things was always, you know, uh, we would have, a, not really softball, but baseball, we would play basketball. Mm-hmm. We would, uh, the big thing actually was, uh, in which I didn't really like, but we pulled tobacco, you know, that was oh, wow. one of the things and stuff that kind of really got you in shape to basically be able to go and you know, go to the, the woods and stuff and cut that wood for winter time, as well as go to the garden, a bunch of bending over and stuff there to kind of get, you know, so it was, it was interesting. Cause like I said, we kind of played it somewhat into 
basically being able to take that from the farm into, like you said, I guess sporting activities or whatnot, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess to look to look back at that and stuff now, a lot of kids and stuff don't have they, they don't have anybody that's coaching them like that or you know, helping them to like accept hard work and be able to um, appreciate it and turn it into something good, something else that's, you know, going to mm-hmm. be beneficial and stuff to life. Dr. Pitts, you- I, wanted, I wanted just to, to add as far as the education piece, and I know Gary can uh, understand this coming up as a farm, uh, a country boy mm-hmm. down in North Carolina. Uh, mm-hmm. Just so you know, I, my grandparents brought the South to Washington, D.C., so I understand what you're talking about, about being in a garden, in a field and how that, that, mm-hmm. that, that hard work and kind of that, that that's some real work, man, that puts you in a better yeah. place. My grandfather used to tell me, he said, son, uh, hard work never killed a man, but the lack right. of it did. Mm-hmm. And I ain't never get that at first, but I was like, that makes mm-hmm. sense. So working in the garden, mm-hmm. all that stuff keeps you healthy. But here's the other yeah. thing, Dr. Pitts, I failed to share. My mother mm-hmm. was a stickler for education, so yeah. she used yeah. it as a as a as leverage for me to play mm-hmm. something that I love. So you couldn't mm-hmm. be on the football team, you couldn't play basketball, you couldn't go outside if your grades mm-hmm. weren't at a certain level. She didn't just say passing. You yeah. are an A B person. You're going to put in the yeah. same dedication to this because if mm-hmm. something happens to you and you don't make it there, you yeah. have to have a foundation that you can build on to go in a different direction. And it required education and she pushed that. So uh, yeah. even though I ain't like it and I missed some practices and I missed some things because mm-hmm. I didn't do the right thing, mm-hmm. her making me dedicated to that piece helped make me a better reader, uh, writer, mm-hmm. uh, speaker, all those things that were important in, in my life mm-hmm. today as a result mm-hmm. of those things that she pushed and made sure that I did as a child. Yeah, it, it's the, the and it, you know, I'm from Southern New Jersey. I tell people where I'm from in New Jersey is the reason why New Jersey is called the what? Garden State. And I grew up on a farm too. So the cows, chickens, pigs, you know, horses taken, you know, animal rights folks don't send me hate mail, but <laughs> animals to the butcher and, you know, eggs being had and all of these things. And, and it is work. And one of the things that I love and, I, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, I would not change being born into the Pitts family for anything. Um, we, education was non-negotiable. <laughs> it was non-negotiable. And, and what's so interesting is when I think about it, my mom was one of 11 and all six of her, bro- well, five of her six brothers played sports. The other one preached his trial sermon at the age of 12. So we know that, you know, and when he passed, he would, he was funeralized as a bishop because he passed before he had an opportunity to be installed as bishop. But the other five all played sports, football, basketball, baseball, um, you know, they rocked out in sports, but that's those grades. They had to have the grades. The two oldest ones dropped out of school, but that was, you know, that was part of the thing because of that generation, right? The two oldest ones dropped out of school to get jobs to help to support the family. But all the rest of them, oh, you going to school, you're graduating and you're getting good grades. And if you don't get these grades, you're not playing that sport. And it, and it was not open for discussion. For us as the next generation, and you talk about that AB, like 
my parents acted like bees were like the devil or something. It's like, wait, what, what do you mean? It, it was just not permitted. And like I said, you know, my involvement in sports didn't go beyond cheerleading, but I didn't get straight A's. I couldn't cheer. It's like, yeah, straight like A's. straight A's. I would straight A's were required of me. They were oh. required of me, and and people wonder like I've been a straight A student my whole life, <laughs> literally. And it was like when I was in my doctoral program, my GPA dropped from a four point zero to a three point eight nine. Almost had a nerve breakdown. <laughs> I was like, wait, oh, wait, what is going on? And my dissertation chair was like, Lauren, you're going to be Dr. Pitts. Nobody's going to care. <laughs> I was like, but you don't understand. My parents don't care. <laughs> I know I'm grown and I've been a, But I say all that to say this is that one of the things that I see from a clinical perspective is that, yes, there are some athletes, particularly our younger athletes, where their parents are sticklers for getting good grades, but then there are parents who literally navigate parenting and sports involvement from the mindset that, oh, that those grades don't matter. They, they don't see K through eight as mattering to whether or not the child gets an athletic scholarship and goes to college. And what I say to them is, um, you're mistaken. Well, Dr. Pitakin, you said, what do you mean? Okay, because discipline is learned. How about that? Mm -hmm. And if a child is not taught to be academically disciplined, like they're taught to be athletically disciplined, then by the time they get to high school, they're going to struggle academically because the demands in high school, as well as the athletic demands in high school are kicked up a notch from when you're playing midget football or right they, they you they see the kid as is a ticket out of their situation ronnie talks about that all the time right the kid is the superhero of the family and what's so unfortunate about that is that all this pressure is on this kid to perform athletically but then academically they're not thriving when i was teaching at the high school level, um, one of the classes that I taught was the alternative um, English class. And what that alternative English class was, was students who didn't have the academic ability to pass the New Jersey standardized state test, the, the, um, the park. And so they were taking these alternative English classes. What was so disheartening about that is some of these students, both male and female, who were also scholar athletes in 11th and 12th grade gentlemen were reading on third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade level, but they were playing them sports. So if you're getting ready to graduate high school, performing at the elementary level in your reading comprehension, how are you gonna be successful in college? You're How? expecting the same thing and the same courtesies and passes mm -hmm. that you were getting in high school and all along the way. And uh, yeah. because people still see you as a ticket that they can say, I, pat mm -hmm. I, was, I touched this person before they got to their mm -hmm. place of fame. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Now, here's what I don't understand, Dr. Pitts. I'm just going to throw this out. Mm-hmm. What okay. do they, these people who do these things, the parents who, what do they, what do they feel, what do they get out of it? What did the AAU coach get out of saying, yeah, Kevin Durant was on my team as an AAU guy and I helped produce him. Mm-hmm. What do you get on the back end? What's, what's your claim to fame? And so I don't understand sometimes how all of that kind of ties in. I know, Gary, you 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 probably know a lot of folks that were on the AAU circuit and all that stuff. And what's the what's the motivation for the coaches? Uh, you you've been behind the scenes. I'm sorry, Doctor, because I just swing this a different no, way. Good. But you're I want to know about this because this has been in he, my. He does have school. some behind the scene knowledge. Not sure if he want to tell us. <laughs> Talk to us, Gary. What, what's what's the motivation of these coaches? Well. I think, I think personally, like I said, you know, it seems like, you know, the coaches and stuff have a, I guess they kind of sort of feel as if they have a personal stake in making sure that that particular player uh, becomes, you know, uh, how could you say it, Magic Johnson or, mm-hmm. or, you know, one of the top quarterbacks and stuff in the NFL. Because yeah. the fact is, is like when they get to that position, then they are looking for so-and-so to be able to, if nothing but just by name recognition, be able to help them get to another level or whatnot in their life or in their career or something. So it was like you mm-hmm. said, so it was almost like they are, you know, trying to work with them one-on-one because they want to have that, you know, that, that big name and stuff at some point and people to know them mm-hmm. where they can make money, you know, like adversely, I guess you could say off of that particular person. I, that's what I see. So self- it's almost like a meal ticket for them too. Yeah, absolutely. So self-motivation yeah. uh, for mm-hmm. self-improvement. So it has no real, you know, direction toward the individual you say you're trying to help. It still has a selfish motive to it. I, I think it's, it. yeah, I, I like I think is, you know, it's motivated by the fact that they feel as if they're going to get monetarily, you know, monetary or gifts or be able to gain access to other mm-hmm. people on the team. It's just like when, you know, a lot of our, young women or whatnot, they kind of sort of do the same thing. You know, they are mm-hmm. looking for a meal ticket to the top and then they get there and stuff and they figure out how to strategize to, to do something else. It's like a game, you know? Wow. A game What's within the, the game. What's the that, Dr. Pitts? How does the, what, why do people think like that? What, and it, and my question is, is it a reality? Is, is, do, does it really happen? Does the, is oh God, yeah. their goal at the end of the, at the end of the rainbow mm-hmm. for real? Do these people mm-hmm. actually get paid? Right. Uh, do they get the access that they hope they're going to get? Or do they get mad at that person at the end and, and, and try to guilt them into mm-hmm. saying, remember when I was picking you up and you didn't have a ride to the gym when mm-hmm. you were six? They had a person 21 and you trying to take them back to six-year-old like they owe mm-hmm. you something. Mm-hmm. So where is the I mental piece both ways. I, I think I think there are definitely you know like like I'll give a, a prime example. So my hometown high school is Salem High School in Salem, New Jersey, and running back Jonathan Taylor came out of Salem, New Jersey as a running back for the Indianapolis Colts doing the darn thing, and his football coach there was Montre Wright. Montre um, is friends with my son and and was um, he was when I was running an organization called Teens on Track for Success, Montre was a, a part of the students that I took with me, you know, around the country for, for different college visits and what have you. Montre is an extraordinary human being. 
right? He is a human being that prides himself on doing what's in the best interest of the athlete. When I think about um, a story that one of the news channel, one of the local news channels did on JT, and I was just elated to hear Montre's part of the interview because he was still the same humble, down the earth, just amazing human being that his mother who passed away a couple of years ago raised him to be. He's that guy that's not looking for anything. His Montre's heart is filled and it's like he finds so much joy in doing his job in in being a a positive coach and influence that nurtured JT's skills, right? He's not looking for anything. Will will JT blessing? Probably will because JT's an amazing human being, right? So I'm, maybe he went to a game. I don't know. I haven't talked to Montre in quite some time. But then you have those individuals that are what's in it for me. Oh, I'm going to coach this kid up. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do the other. And and I'm and I'm not saying this to be derogatory or anything like that, because I don't know the backside of the story. I know that, you know, Hollywood tends to embellish, but I think uh, an example of that is in the movie, The Blind Side with Michael Orr. And they showed how Coach Cotton went to the table. Mm -hmm. They showed how Coach Cotton went to the table before the admissions board to get Michael Orr into that school and how when the NCAA was investigating whether or not there had been any illegal activity in recruiting him and him going to Ole Miss, one of the things that came up was the, the, um, the investigator asked Michael Orr in the movie, were you aware that Coach Cotton accepted a coaching position with Ole Miss when you signed. He didn't know, right? So it's, it happens. It, it, it definitely happens. And to answer your question regarding the mental health piece, one of the things that I've found in doing this work is that one, people live vicariously through their children. Ronnie talks about that all the time. The other part of that is People come into parenting and coaching with their own mental health issues and baggage. Some at the lower level of the mental health, you know, diagnoses and others that are what Ronnie and I say and just deep into the DSM, right? Our diagnostic is like back there on page five. Oh, that's where the heavy hitters are, right? Mm -hmm. But the problem with that is, is that there's a tremendous amount of projection and transference onto the athlete. You know, take so many of our athletes that are born into poverty. They didn't ask to be born into poverty. They didn't ask to be one of four, five, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven kids. They didn't ask to live in project housing in deplorable conditions. They didn't ask for any of that. But yet they're heart's desire for many of them who wouldn't want to be out of those situations is to be the savior for their family. But then there's others that put pressure on these kids. And so they, some of them have enough sense to instill in the child, 
the importance of their grades being a priority because you're not going to play sports forever. There's others who don't. And I, honest to goodness, gentlemen, I think those are the athletes to end up broke. I think they're the athletes to end up broke because behind the scenes, it was all about get us out of here, get us out of here, get us out of here. It was all about taking care of everything and everybody. And there was no emphasis on expanding the mind. And as a result, the athlete ends up broke, depressed, suicidal, drug addicted, with fractured life and relationships. And it doesn't have to be that way. So when we take all of that into consideration and we go to that next level, we'll call that level two with the intermediate athlete. And just for illustration purposes, I'm gonna put that at the level um, of the athlete that goes to college, but doesn't get the full athletic scholarship. He's not a Ronnie Ransom. He's not a, um, He's, he's not a Jonathan Taylor. He's not uh, an Odell Beckham Jr. He's not a, a, a Tom Brady, you know? He's just, he's a decent yeah, athlete. star player, he's not that guy. Yeah, not that guy. He or she. But, well, right, not that guy or girl, but they go and they, they do a decent job. They're an average student. They're an average athlete. And what does that look like? How does that, where do they end up? It, it reminds me of love and basketball. When they were, when the girls were in the locker room and they were um, not in the locker room, the two girls, Sanaa Lathan and the other girl who were playing overseas had met for dinner after the championship. And she was talking about two of the other athletes that one was back home working at a shoe store and the other one was doing you know something how is that possible gary why are you so passionate about education well when i was growing up um my mom and my uncle basically like i said you know again like I said, we were part of a farming community or whatnot, you know, we had the family land and all that. And so I, like I said, grew up with my mother, my aunt, my uncle, all in the same house. They were all sisters and brothers. And um, when it came to school and education, like I said, I, I, I guess you could kind of say like, I felt like I was kind of slow. I was kind of shy and really didn't, you know, exert myself and stuff out in public like most people did. And so therefore my my mother and my uncle basically tag teamed or whatnot to basically make sure that I knew my reading, make make sure I knew my mathematics and, you know, and uh mm -hmm. those things. And then too, when you got out in the community or whatnot, um you had cousins, you had other family and other people there in the community. It was like I say, it was all like a, a big family because if you were doing something that you were not supposed to be doing or whatnot, they all basically, they would call back to my mom and tell us, you know, he's doing such and such or whatever. And, you know, and you would get in trouble by everybody. And like I said, it was like, like I see everybody would kind of sort of like take care of everybody. And so mm -hmm. as you got older, even in the school systems and stuff, you know, the um, teachers or whatnot were, uh, you know, we could actually get, 
like like corporal punishment or discipline and stuff at school with a belt and all this kind of stuff, you know. And so, I guess in today's you know in in today's uh, uh, world, you can't do that. That's the first thing. And then the spirituality, you know, spiritual wise or church or whatnot. We growing up on the farm and all that kind of stuff. We went to church all the time, and so we it was a lot of the same people over and over, you know. And so, um, yeah, the big thing and stuff was to educate your child and stuff at home so that when they get out in public, number one, they know how to act. They know the different things and stuff to do, how to conduct themselves and whatnot around other people. And, uh, you know, you really didn't feel uh, a sense of somebody, how could you say it, trying to, like, you know, take advantage of you in various, you know, stages of your life for money or for anything else. Cause you kind of, like, you kind of knew everybody, but did you know, this sense of greed and stuff, this day in time, it's a whole different world, you know? And so mm-hmm. my thing is, like I say, so with the education piece, because of what I kind of, the way I grew up or whatnot and how I was raised or whatnot, you know, I said, well, you know, you look at the different situations and stuff on television and look at different people's lives and stuff. Some people go far. Some people don't go so far. But when you got certain things and stuff in you, you know, you don't forget it. You know, you don't go to jail. You don't go get hooked and stuff on drugs. You don't get hooked and stuff on alcohol, all these things and stuff. It doesn't matter if you're doing sports or, or if you're doing music or whatever, you know. But because, like I said, certain uh aspects of life like i say you know being you know, with, with, with spirituality uh having a close-knit family that really like cared about you and really showed you those different things and stuff in mm-hmm. order to achieve and go further in life like i say you mm-hmm. you know it it, it, it it you held on to a lot of that stuff and and like i say it was a good thing or whatnot to get older and basically be able to um show other people how to do stuff without having to you know deal with you know bad stuff in the past. Thank God I didn't grow up in a household and stuff where my mom was an alcoholic or, you know, or a prostitute or any of that kind of stuff, not to judge anyone, but you know, and so, and so, yeah, so those things, like I said, actually kind of sort of like prepared me or whatnot for uh, being able to get into like, you know, even with my book or whatnot, being able to pull together something like that because I had a pretty good up, upbringing or whatnot where you know everybody appreciated respected you or whatnot and you could do those things they made you feel like you could do those mm-hmm. things you know so mm-hmm. if i answered your question at all you did Cause, well you you and, and i know ted wants to jump in here but what i love about what you said because you know oftentimes we we make the assumption of thinking that when we talk about academia when we talk about scholarly that it's just classroom knowledge but life across all domains is a learning experience. And you said some buzzwords that just like made my forehead light up. When you talk about respect, when you talk about conduct out in the community, when you, something that I'm really, really passionate about having taught English is appropriate language. How do you communicate verbally? It aggravates me to no end when I see a microphone shoved in an athlete's face, particularly an athlete of color, and they cannot speak, it drives me nuts. And what it tells me is, where was the emphasis on classroom and 
home training as it relates to speaking. I use more slang now than I ever have in my entire life because growing up, it wasn't permitted in our home. Slang would get your lips popped. <laughs> you talk about corporate punishment. <laughs> you, it just wasn't tolerated. And, and even now, I have to be very, very careful in what I say when I'm speaking to my parents because they have zero tolerance for slang. They don't want to hear it. It's not accepted. That you, And oh, by the way, like my mom has literally said, excuse me, <laughs> do we pay a bunch of money for you to be a doctor? <laughs> do we pay a bunch of money for you to be a doctor? I'm like, I put myself in my doctoral program. What you talking about? <laughs> but the bottom line is, it's not going to be tolerated. There is an expectation of excellence and greatness when it comes to knowledge, whether it's classroom knowledge or social knowledge, home training, dining etiquette, social graces. That seems to be a thing of the past today. So you, yes, don't get me wrong. There are plenty, plenty, plenty of athletes that are very well-spoken, that are extremely articulate, that hold themselves very, very well in the public eye. And then there are others, phenomenal athletes, but I find myself questioning what type of student they were. Were they an intermediate student? Because the way that they speak begs the question, were they paying attention in class? Well, Dr. Dr. Pitts, I, I, I'm a person I always like to give grace. So we can, and I know you're not saying this, but we have to, it's not their fault that people passed them on, people gave right. them a pass. Because as a child, I would have wanted the easy way out too. So mm -hmm. we all would have accepted the, the path if we weren't put mm -hmm. on a path of, like you said, expectation of mm -hmm. excellence. So if that wasn't mm -hmm. in their household, I get it. Right. But now you're in the league. Now you have resources where you can pay someone to help yes. you with your, your public presence. They can help that you right there. Here to speak like Martin Luther King, but give you a couple of words to say, hey, you know, when they pull you up for the right. interview that's unexpected, here are a couple of pitfalls to stay away from. Don't answer yeah. these type of questions. Always look right. in the camera. You don't have to say all these big words. Just say concise words in a sentence that, that, right. that can kind of all line up and kind of has some continuity to it. So right. you ain't got to be great. You get you have to at least start. And yeah. so it takes me back to a statement, Dr. Pitts, that says talent can get you there, but it's your character yes. that gets you there. So once yes. you you can get up there and all that, but you will get exposed, like you said, when they put the mic in front of you, yeah. you may be the greatest three-point shooter, the greatest dribbler, mm -hmm. and all that. But in that moment, you're yes. going to be diminished because to a degree publicly yes. based on that. And so yeah. why not build the excellence in your public persona as well as on the court? Right. Just, and, something, and, and just I, something for their consideration. Right. No, I love that because what it says is, and I'm, so I want to say this gently. We're not suggesting for a moment that someone dance to the beat of another human being's drum. We're not suggesting for a moment that someone conduct themselves in a manner that is inauthentic. But what I say to my clients, what I say to my family members, to my friends and what have you, is that you have to be efficient at being able to hold your own in the boardroom or on the block.
you have to be a chameleon because so oftentimes what happens, people are watching. These athletes, even at the collegiate, even at the high school level, truth be told, smaller children are looking up to these athletes as an example of how to behave, how to speak, how to dress, how to carry themselves. These younger children that are at the level beneath whatever level the athlete is at want to be like Mike. They want to be like JT. They want to be like Aaron Rodgers. They want to be like Joe Burrow. They want to be like DeMar Hamlet. They want to be and like don't leave Tom Brady out. You and this Tom Brady. You didn't throw him in there now. Come on now. They want to be like Tom, Ted. They want to be like Tom. And what ends up happening is it at least it appears that the appropriate nurturance for the scholarly part of their trajectory has not been nurtured properly. And, and that's concerning to me. It's deeply concerning because I feel like when you get to the, those next levels, when you get to the, um, when you get to the advanced athlete level, when you get to the elite level, there, the expectations of you are greater in behavior, in performance, in attitude, in character. And it requires long-term dedication to who you are holistically. You're not just an athlete. You're a public figure. You're a father, you're a son, you're a mother, you're a daughter, you're a sister, you're a cousin, you're a wife, you're, you're all of these things. So literally the spotlight is on you how are you showing up? That was the, the mental health tip that I forgot to incorporate. So I'm going to incorporate it now. This might seem really, really strange, but I swear it ties into this because athletes are human beings, right? We know that they're human beings. They're living, breathing beings that have relationships and have problems and have perceived successes and failures and all of these things. And what I have been saying to my clients over the past couple of weeks is this gentlemen, Take your athletic performance out of the equation. Take your relationships out of the equation and look in the mirror. Ask yourself if how you are showing up in your sport, in your relationships, in every area of your life is truly representative of who you are authentically at your core. How, it, it's, it's like this, who are you? Who do people say you are and who do you pretend to be? Are all of those answers in alignment? Because if they're not, what that tells me clinically is that you are navigating life inauthentically. Yes, you're a phenomenal athlete, but you're inauthentic. Those three things need to line up. And here's what it looks like. So we know domestic violence is a thing in sports, right? Mm -hmm. Is who we're seeing publicly who you really are. And when people can look in the mirror and answer those questions honestly, answer those questions vulnerably and transparently for themselves, 
then maybe they're able to show up more authentically. Then maybe they actually might find themselves excelling in their athletic performance in ways perhaps that they hadn't even realized that they could because they're not navigating life pretending to have it all together. If you are not showing up in your performance, in your relationships, and in every area of your life in a way that is representative of who you truly are, how you truly want to be seen, and how you truly want to navigate your life, then you're doing yourself a disservice and you're doing those of us that are looking up to you a disservice. Wow. That part right? That's all right. Because <clears throat> Dr. Pitt, sometimes we we have to, you know, those people in those spaces, we have to remember that mm -hmm. they're young adults, <clears throat> many of them. And mm -hmm. uh, we were 21, 22, 23. We just didn't have the bank accounts that they have. Mm -hmm. We didn't have the same type of temptations and all these things being yeah. pushed at us from all angles, especially yeah. today with social media and all this yeah. stuff. When some of these people say, when can I breathe right. and be, and just be me, I, I, I don't yeah. want to be, I don't want to sign another autograph. Mm -hmm. And I know you're the, you don't know you're the 150th person to ask me today. Right. But when I say no, I just want a moment. And now mm -hmm. I'm in, now I get an Instagram thing and everybody hating on me because I didn't sign mm -hmm. this little boy's autograph and you mm -hmm. didn't blew me up on social media. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, I, we have to think about also, how mm -hmm. does it, how do you practically walk that out? And I know you, we don't have time, but that's another show. Mm -hmm. possibly. How do, how do, how does an athlete walk that out practically? Mm -hmm. A lead athlete with the exposure and everything. Mm -hmm. And how does that work out for them mentally? Right. Well, th that's, and that was the part that I was going to add because we're literally, time goes by so fast, goodness gracious. Sometimes I'm tempted to take the show back the 90 minutes. But the answer to that is this that last tidbit of what you said is why it's so important to strike that balance because living life inauthentically can result in mental health issues. So then you have to ask yourself is, denying who you really are for the sake of public persona and notoriety worth your mental health. It's like requiring people to do this cost-benefit analysis, right? And weighing it. Yeah, you got your family out of the projects and yeah, you've got a fat bank account right now, but you're depressed, anxious, and suicidal. That's, that's the hard part. And that's why this work that we do is so important. Um, there's a couple of key things I wanna to touch on real quick. And then I wanna pass back to, to Gary to allow him to share with our listeners how they can follow him and get to know him better and support the amazing work and stuff that he's doing. There was so much more that we wanted to, we just did, there just wasn't enough time mm -hmm. to, to cover it all. Um, one of the things that I asked Ronnie to contribute was I asked him, based on his athletic journey, what tips would he give young athletes concerning balancing their ability and their athletic performance? And he said these three things. He said, set realistic goals for the season and off season. Learn to be coachable 
and learn when a coach is critiquing your actions and behaviors and you as a person. Do a little extra each day, whether after a lift or practice in your free time and watch how those extra efforts turn into huge payoffs when you need it the most. To that, I wanna add that what we know to be true is that mental health has the ability to adversely affect athletic performance. If an athlete, to your point, Ted, when we talk about this public persona versus you know, the athlete really wanting to, to breathe and, and not wanting to sign another autograph or, or get another picture taken, right? What we know to be true in this work is that athletes who aren't interested in their sport or in like if they lose their passion, if they just get to a point where they're just tired, right? They don't perform well because they're not fully engaged. They're not fully engaged in practices. They're not fully engaged in health behaviors. They're not fully engaged in competition. A lot of times that morphs into depression. And when depression kicks in, now we're opening the door for fatigue, loss of energy, changes in sleep patterns and moving and talking slowly. It's this vicious cycle. And all of it's why it's like one of the pillars of my work as a clinician is this holistic perspective to wellness, your overall um, health and well-being, your love and relationships, your career, i.e., your athletic involvement, your you know your time. How are you spending your time, and with whom you're spending your time, and then your financial piece. So when you look at each of those domains of our lives within the context of athletic performance, in, in my opinion, it's very easy to see how any type of disruption in those domains of an athlete's life can adversely affect their performance and sometimes greatly. And we see it, right? We see it in the media. We, we, we hear about it in the media, whether it's drinking and driving, racing, murder, suicide, gun, with that, like really, it's, it's, it's manifesting itself in a number of maladaptive ways that are compromising the athletic performance, but more importantly, gentlemen, it's compromising the overall well-being of the athlete. That's why we do this work. That's why we do this work because mental health is the crucial factor in performance. And if people don't connect the dots between academia, between performance and between mental health, we're gonna continue to see an escalation in mental health issues among our athletic performers. We're gonna see crime. We're going to see domestic violence. We're going to see a litany of issues that don't have to be part of their story, but they are. So look, folks, we're out of time. But Gary, please, um, before we wrap up, share with our listeners how they can connect with you or follow you or tune into. You've got a book. Tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us. Okay. All right. Great. So first of all, here's my book. It's uh, the Gary Clement Radio Show, Volume 1, When Strong African-American Men and Women Stand Up. 
And mm -hmm. uh, basically, it focuses on uh, literacy. Uh, it focuses on literacy and uh, being able to bring our community together so that we can teach our young people in regards to what to do, how to do, you know, how important it is to go and keep, you know, being interested in stuff in education and taking yourself as far as you can go in life. Mm -hmm. um, it was a good thing to do this. I had an opportunity actually to do an interview, a couple of interviews or whatnot with uh, Professor Matthew Knowles, who so happens to be the father of Beyonce. And um, he basically um, signed on as the first person actually, you know, with me for this to basically be a part of this. And, uh, you know, like I said, it was interesting. He told me about his uh, background as well as his life or whatnot, you know, um, coming out of Alabama and the story about his mother and father and how everything came together and why he basically, you know, loved to beyond just the entertainment thing, but he wanted to get into, you know, being a college professor. And so that's what he does and stuff till this day. You know, he basically travels the country and stuff doing speaking engagements and whatnot, as well as, you know, uh, talk to a lot of young people and different ones and then teaches classes and stuff uh, in regards to, you know, um, everything he's done in his career, life and career. And uh, so it's a good read. Um, beyond this, what I went on to do was create the Gary Clement Radio Show um, podcast. And uh, with that, I'm, you know, able to talk with people such as Dr. Pitts here um, in regards to what she's doing and what she's done. And I think thus far, we, we're fairly new, but like we're up to, I think, episode number 32 or 33. And uh, that's, like I said, that's growing. And uh, if people want to reach us, uh, they can simply send an email or whatnot to gccpresents at yahoo.com. Um, like I said, so I'm open to getting, you know, new information, meeting new people. I'm actually introducing a couple of new podcasts and whatnot as well. Uh, one is called um, Hard News, you know, hosted by Gary Clement, where we basically, you know, are going into the fabric of our community and interviewing, you know, people like the sheriff's department, as well as the school system administrators and whatnot, and getting them to talk about the importance and stuff of gun violence and stuff in our communities and basically being able to provide solutions or whatnot there. Mm -hmm. um, that's like I said, one podcast. And I have this other thing that I've actually partnered with the church that my wife goes to called Let's Pray for the Culture or whatnot. And we're allowing different members and stuff of the church to basically, you know, speak out about things that concern them or whatnot that's happening to our culture or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And um, letting them speak or whatnot, you know, with that. And so that's the second one. And then um, recently, I'm looking at something, you know, on voting or whatnot, the importance of whatnot of voting for our young people, as well as our older people, because a lot of us, you know, have ideas and they you know want this want to do this want to do that or whatnot and um but they don't vote they don't vote they don't right. they're not supportive or whatnot of what voting means or whatnot back in the 1960s you know our parents a lot of them that's something that they actually they were really big in that they were really a part of that because uh like i say you know they had to you know they yeah. they they were you know restricted to being able to go to lunch counters and sit and do different things or whatnot that white people had the privilege to do, but they couldn't do it. So mm -hmm. that's something, that's another podcast I'm kind of sort of like working on and stuff now to try to bring to right. fruition. Okay. Right. And uh, so I just got a couple of diff different things going on. 
You're doing some things. I'm I love trying. it. Love it. <laughs> Man, we got we gotta have you gotta bring him back, uh, Lauren. I'm just going to put my vote in right now because it was <laughs> it was a whole lot of stuff in that in the pre-room when we were in the green room waiting. Yeah. And he shared with us that I wanted to hear about it. We kept running our mouth and we didn't get Gary enough time to talk. That's <laughs> all right. Gary, yeah, you're going to have to hear, hear this story later, man. And I know Ronnie going to probably be sitting up here sucking it all in, but I, I hope I'm invited to that call that day or this particular day. Yeah, man. We, yes, we definitely have to have you back because you, and and, and it's my fault. It, it's like there's just trying to pack too much into to an hour, just can't get it all in. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, because you, you know, you, you definitely shared with us in, in the green room, some powerful, um, stories about your, your connection with, with professional athletes and wanted to share some pictures and all of that stuff with us. And so we definitely mm-hmm. want to have you back. So th- thank you. Congratulations for everything that you're doing, folks. You know, this is great work. I'm, I'm loving the, the work around the, the community and the interviewing police station, all that stuff. And, the, and I'm, I'm so sick of turning on the TV and hearing about gun violence. I can scream. And I live in Texas. So y'all already know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you so much, Gary, for joining us today. Ted is absolutely positively right. We need to have you back on, um, you know, season four. We are in the process of finalizing all the show topics for our fourth season of HT pregame for the 2023-2024 season. Woo! It is going to be something beautiful to behold. Um, the, the the guests are confirming and rolling in like crazy, and it is just going to be amazing. I want to I want to share in in closing um, some information that I received from Dr. Todd Stahl. He's the founder of Inside Performance Mind Room, um, and he holds an MD from the University of Nebraska Medical Center. Uh, He's a board-certified psychiatrist in addiction medicine, as well as general uh, and addiction psychiatry. He's a former high school and college football quarterback at Hastings College, and has spent a number of years working with college student-athletes while serving as consulting sports psychiatrist at the University of Nebraska. Um, and he serves as the treasurer for the International Society for Sports Psychiatry. But he said this, he said, you know, at universities, the challenge for any athletics department is to be aware of mental health issues and be trained to spot them when they emerge. Emotional well-being is important to any athlete's success academically, athletically, socially, and spiritually. Untreated mental health problems result in undue suffering, diminished positive affect, and balance in life. Most psychiatric disorders in student athletes improve and resolve with proper treatment. Early recognition is important to shorten the time between illness onset and treatment, thus improving the mental health and emotional well-being for our student athletes. Mic drop. Mm -hmm. That emphasis is on early intervention and proper treatment. It's important to any athlete's success. To all of our listeners, whether you're a parent, a current athlete, a former athlete, or considering being an athlete, if your mental health is not 
where it needs to be, it is going to compromise your performance. It is going to compromise every aspect of your life. Mental health is the crucial factor in performance in and out of sport. That's all we have for today, folks. We'll see you back. Ronnie will be back next Saturday, rocking and rolling with stories to tell, I'm sure. (laughs) Gentlemen, thank you so much. Ted, as always, thank you, sir, for for rescuing me and my time of need. (laughs) Mr. Clement, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us today for all the work that you do. And we will definitely be coordinating to get you back on next season because we want to hear more about what you're doing. Folks, you need to go out and buy his book. You need to do that today. It'll be a great gift <laughs> for somebody. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Go out and buy that. Good stuff. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Everybody have a wonderful Saturday. Have a great rest of your weekend. And we'll see you back here Memorial Day weekend. Same time, same bad channel. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Have a thank good you. one. Thank you. Mm-hmm.